Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 26. Yes, we are back in 1 Samuel. Amen. A uh, quick update on my dad. He's still fighting the infection and uh, he's probably be on antibiotics for a couple more months um, through IV, but he did go home. So he's at home, so pray for him. Amen. Pray for him, my mom, especially as she cares for him. Uh, she's a tireless woman, but she's getting a little weary, so keep her in prayer. All right. First uh, Samuel 26. Now, it's been a little while. It's actually been five weeks since we were in 1 Samuel. And just by the way of quick review, uh, this is the time of David's wilderness wandering. David is the anointed king of Israel, anointed by God, but yet still not on the throne. He was anointed by God, chosen by God. But if you remember, Saul was king. Saul was the king that the people had cried out for. And if you remember, a warning came. If you cry out for a king and you ask for a king, remember they wanted a king because they wanted to be like the other nations around them. And he said, if you cry out for a king, I'm going to give you one. And I'll give you the kind of king you want. But you know what? He's going to take your, your you know, family's captive. He's going to take your lands from you. He's going to put you into bondage. He's going to cause nothing but trials and difficulty for you. And they said, give us a king anyway. And it's so much like we are often. God warns us in his word that if we go down this path, that the consequences will be heavy. And we decide that we know better than God. And we choose to go that way anyway. And then when the consequences come, we blame God. God, how in the world could you let this happen to me? You know what? God loves you enough. He tried to keep it from happening to you. But he allows you to have free will. So too did the children of Israel. So they cried out for King Saul, and sure enough, he starts off well, but after a short amount of time, he indeed becomes the very man God promised he would be. The kingdom is ripped from him because he tries to take the place of Samuel the high priest. David, who is faithfully serving God, he had slayed Goliath, as we know. He was the only one who was really looking at the world, maybe him and Jonathan, from spiritual eyes, and Saul became jealous because God's hand was upon David, so he started throwing spears at David. He tried to kill David. So David was banished out into the wilderness, away from his family, away from his friends, away from the place of worship, away from the very people he was called to minister to. So we've been looking at the last several chapters at David in the wilderness, and You know what, as we look at David in the wilderness, this time of difficulty and trial and desperation, we need to understand that just like in our lives, when difficulties come, it's always preparation for what's next. Guys, I want to encourage you that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. And there are two things that can happen in different ways. If we rebel against God and there are things happen, those are consequences of sin. But if we're walking with God and difficulty comes then it's all God's plan to conform us to His image. Guys, we want to be more like our Savior than get ready for some difficulty. God's Word does not hide the frailties of its heroes. It's one of the many things I love about it. And we've seen David respond in such an incredible way, incredible faith in the midst of such great hardship. First of all, we saw just faith and submission. Remember, he would not return evil for evil with King Saul. He did not take vengeance upon Saul a few chapters ago, even though his own men were saying, this is God's plan, kill him. This is the guy who's chasing you, David, kill him. This is the guy. But you know what? Even as we have seen David be faithful over and over again, we did see David make some mistakes too. We saw David when he lied to, king, to the priest Ahimelech, if you remember that story. He came in and told him he was on a mission from King Saul. Ahimelech helped him not knowing that he was lying, and the word got back through Doeg, and it came to King Saul, and he came in, and Doeg slaughtered all the priests and their entire families, all because David lied instead of trusting God. The same David who threw a rock and slayed a giant, the same David who went out there against 11 foot 750 when everyone else was cowering in fear, now lies to a priest instead of just telling him the truth. You know, I look at the life of David, and I certainly feel like I personally can identify with him. How about you? 
Times when you have great victory in your walk with God and you just see God moving in a mighty and a powerful way. And by His grace, you're, you're fairly fearless in your faith and you're really bold and you love God. He's the passion of your life and you think, I'll never leave this place. This is going to be my life forever. And then, in the midst of a difficulty or a trial, we'll be like Peter and we'll deny our Savior with our actions or our words. Anybody else relate to that or only me? And here's David. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. That should be an encouragement to us that he's a man after God's own heart, and yet he's a man of frailties. Because too often we think to be a good Christian, we must never make a mistake. Guys, we wouldn't need to be Christians if we never made a mistake. The reason we need Jesus Christ is we fail all the time. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And so in the midst of this, again, seemingly immovable faith, David had made some mistakes. We saw one in the previous chapter as we lead into chapter 26. If you'll remember, David had Saul right where he wanted him in chapter 24, and all the people cried. Remember, Saul went in to you know, go to the bathroom in the very cave where David and his men were hiding. You talk about, you know, hey, look, God's delivered your enemy to you. And certainly, if we look at things only from our circumstances, we can make that mistake. But guys, that's why we don't live based only on what men say or what our circumstances may tell us, but the Word of God is the authority. Because our feelings will lie to us all day long. And King David is in the recesses of the cave. Saul comes in. The only time he would have been away from his bodyguards, he's by himself. You don't get any more vulnerable than being caught literally with your pants down. And David, instead of killing him, Cuts off a corner of his rope, and he lets Saul know. Later, he lets Saul know, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Saul cries out, David, you know what? You're more godly than me. You truly are God's man. You know what, David? Please make sure that you don't harm my family and my descendants when you become king. You're a more godly man than me. Then you get to chapter 25, and we see David kind of do a 180. Because if you'll remember what happened, David and his men were hit, hiding out up in the wilderness, and there was a man named Nabal. Nabal means fool. And Nabal had a flock, and David and his men kind of watched over the flock and made sure that those animals weren't harmed by anybody else. They could, didn't steal them for themselves, though they certainly could have overpowered these few shepherds of Nabal. But then when shearing time came, when the great feast came, when everybody shared in the, you know, the, the bread and the the feast of this flock, right? All the, the meat and everything that came from this wonderful flock. All David did was send some of his men to Nabal and say, Hey, we watched over your sheep. We cared for them. All we would ask is you would give us a little food. And usually this was a time during this great feast, during this harvest feast, that they would share with everyone. But Nabal said, Who is David? Now, the interesting part about that is there's no doubt in my mind he knew who David was. Because you'd have to be full of rocks, not to know. I mean, David slayed Goliath, right? Everybody knew about him. He slayed the Philistines. They were singing songs about David. Everybody knew who David was. But Nabal was kind of arrogant, and he truly was a man of his name. His name means fool, and he was being a fool. So how does David respond? With grace and mercy and love, right? No. David says, okay, guys, mount up. We're going to go down there and slaughter him. I'm going to wipe that guy out. Who does he think he's talking to? Isn't it amazing how David spins on a dime? From not wanting to touch Saul, not touching God's anointed, and it could be, hey, well, King Saul, he can talk to me a certain way, you know, and he is the king, but Nabal, who's that guy? And guys, we need to make sure that we are not respecters of men, but we treat all men and all women with honor and respect and in a way that would glorify and honor our Savior. Amen? But David sadly doesn't do that, and so... David gets whipped up and praise God for this young, beautiful woman by the name of Abigail. Nabal's wife hears about what Nabal has done, and she brings more than David had asked for out to David and convinces him not to kill her husband. We know that David took a shine to her because at the end of the chapter, God is the one who ends up smoking Nabal. His heart turned like stone. He went into a coma and he died. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Amen. That's why we don't need to take vengeance. Let God do it. He does a much better job, and he always does it right. Amen? And so what happens is Nabal is now dead, and at the end of the chapter, David calls for Abigail to be his wife. He remembered her really well. 
didn't take him long. Who's dead? Nabal's dead. Well, that's good on two points because I wanted him dead anyway, so God did it now, and I can feel good about it. And second of all, that means Abigail is single. Go get her for me. So he goes and gets Abigail, and that brings us to this chapter. And now we've come to this point where we see David responding in a great way. David seems to you know, have been doing well. Things seem to be going well. Saul, last time he saw him, had left David's side and told him, you're really God's man. And David finally, maybe finally, he's going to have a little peace. Maybe finally all these difficulties and trials are behind him. But you know what, guys? We're going to have trials until we die. The Bible says in James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Not if, when. Amen? Now again, oh man, that's kind of fatalist, man. What's up with that? I thought we're supposed to have an abundant life. Guys, part of the abundant life is being able to live with joy in the midst of the trials. Amen? That's how you know someone's walk with God is mature, is when things aren't perfect and they keep praising God. Amen? You know what? My dad and my mom were in the hospital for over a month. I can't tell you how many nurses came up to me to tell me what a radical impact spiritually they had on the hospital. Because they continued to praise God and share their faith and witness to everybody and love on Him in Jesus' name. It doesn't mean that it was always perfect, but the point is that that's when you find out what is really on the inside. You squeeze a lemon... You get lemonade, and when you squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Christ-likeness. Amen? So David is at this point where it seems like maybe, just maybe, we're past. For the first time, things are looking up. Saul had acknowledged he was a true king. He asked David to swear, don't kill my descendants. Saul had turned back from pursuing David. God had used Abigail to keep David from a fleshly response. God struck Nabal, gave Abigail, this woman of great beauty, to be his wife. His enemy had been destroyed by God. King Saul had turned away from him. David had a beautiful wife. He had two wives, unfortunately, as we saw at the end of the chapter. Don't do that, by the way. Amen? Two wives, not good. One wife, God said, one man, one woman for a lifetime. Men faithfully serving alongside him. He's the future king of Israel. You know what? Maybe his wilderness school is finally out of session. Whew. All right. All I got in front of me now is good stuff. Well, guess what? That's not what's going to happen. And we're going to see David respond to two trials in the next two chapters in two totally different ways. And we're going to see that God still had more he wanted to do in the heart of David. When we come to a place in life when it looks like smooth sailing from here on out, know that God has more he wants to do in you and through you. And if you're in the midst of difficulty, God knows right where you are. And it can either be a source of bitterness or an opportunity for increased faith and spiritual growth. So if you're a note taker, write this down. There's... there's a, Six points to tonight's message. I titled the message, A Godly Response to the Attacks of the Enemy. A Godly Response to the Attacks of the Enemy. Because the attacks of the enemy are coming. Amen? They are coming. They're unavoidable. It's going to happen. The more God uses you, the bigger target you have on your back. Oh, well, I'm not going to be used by God. Blow that off. Right? No. Guys, uh, you've heard me say this before. I don't believe Satan knows everybody's name. But I pray that he knows mine. Amen? I pray that we live a life so on fire for God that he would know our name. I wouldn't mind being on his top ten hit list. That would be just fine. Because you know what that means? That means God's using us. Amen? And when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is going to matter. And so the enemy will bring times of attack and difficulty. So how are we to respond? Number one, don't overreact. Amen? Anybody else ever done that besides me? Oh, man. Oh, you know, and we just get all, and you know, is God still in control? Well, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, why'd you have to tell me that? I was having a good time being mad. But here's the point. Don't overreact. Don't respond in the flesh when the enemy attacks. Number two, respond in faith, not in fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Number three, be moved by God's word, not by the words of men, or our circumstances, or your circumstances. Number four, by showing greater love and concern for our enemies than their unsaved friends. Well, that's a big one. You know what, guys? 
We as Christians ought to love the people that hate us the most in such a way that it blows their mind. Amen? Love them more than their unsafe friends ever could. Number five, in a godly response to attacks of the enemy, come with a humble heart seeking restoration. And lastly, we see that example take place as David's humble response brought an opportunity for restoration. So let's begin in 1 Samuel 26, looking at a godly response to the attacks of the enemy. Number one, don't overreact. Don't respond in the flesh. Verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah opposite Jeshimon? Now the Ziphites were descendants of Caleb. They were also of the tribe of Judah. And so was David. These guys were his cousins. These guys were of his family tribe. We've only seen them one other time in Scripture so far, and it was back in chapter 24 when they told where David was. So we've seen the Ziphites twice. And what have they done both times? Hey Saul, we know where David is. We know you want to kill him. Let us tell you where you can go and kill him. Now David, if he was responding like he had with Nabal, he'd been having Ziphite shish kebab, Right? Dude, one time you told on me, that was one. That twice, that's it. I'm done with you guys. And you know, he certainly could have reacted that way. And part of us would understand. The Ziphites were descendants, not only of Judah, but of Caleb. Caleb is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Caleb was a mighty man of faith, a warrior for God. At 85, he asked for the lands of the giants. He discipled a godly son-in-law named Othniel, who became the first judge in all of Israel. And you know what? These guys were descendants of Caleb, but they were nothing like Caleb. Guys, God has no grandchildren. And we cannot rest in the faith of our parents to say, well, I'm going to be okay with God because my parents love God so much. Praise God for godly parents, but at some point, He must be your God. He must be, it must be your intimate relationship. There's nothing I love more as a dad than to see my kids growing in their faith. And not have their faith based only on what they've seen in dad, but that they have their intimate fellowship with Him one on one. It says, they went to Saul, where? At Gibeah. This is his birthplace. So after this confrontation with David two chapters ago, when he said, David, you're the man, and he returned, he went home. He had gone home. But in the midst of him going home, what happens? Some Ziphites show up again to stir up Saul to go and get David. Isn't this what happens often? Gossiping busybodies seeking to instigate Saul to attack David. There are always people like that who like to sit on the sideline and stir things up. You ever met those people? They like to stir things up, and then they act like they had nothing to do with it when everything crashed. Well, I just was, I didn't do anything. I, you know. Guys, prayer praise. Amen? Rule my house, prayer praise. If you can't say something nice, pray for them. If you can't do either one, shut it. Amen? Amen. Prayer or praise. Ziphites, prayer praise. But sadly, instead, they want to hunt down David. They get Saul whipped up again. They attempt to throw David under the bus, if you will, in order to gain favor with King Saul, to align with a fleshly king. This is a reflection that they're operating in the flesh themselves. So how did Saul respond to the news of David's whereabouts? This one he had openly acknowledged as the true king of Israel. Guys, Saul seems to have repented when he left, didn't he? But guys, repentance isn't seen in words, it's seen in actions. We can say we're sorry all day long. It means nothing if our behavior doesn't change. King Saul said, David, you're the man. David, you know what? You're the king. David, please, you know, the future generations, watch out for my family. Please don't, you know, account my sin on their behalf. Please, David, you're truly God's man. And here we are, not long after, Ziphites come and say, we know where David is. And he gets stirred up all over again. Verse 2. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul's 
momentary contrition and acknowledgement of David's calling and God's hand upon him didn't last long. He had not repented at all. Again, repentance is not seen in words, but it's truly seen in actions. If Saul had repented, he would have willingly given up the throne to David. But you'll notice when he said, David, you're God's man, you're truly the king, he went back to the throne and David went back to the wilderness. He had not repented. Guys, many of us have told God we're sorry and we just keep on living in sin and we just keep on walking our own way and living our own life and thinking it's okay. Guys, that's not repentance. Repent means to turn from my sin, turn from my old life and turn to the Lord. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it means that our passion now is for Him. And when we sin, we're convicted by it. That was not King Saul's heart at all. Saul had acknowledged David's rightful position with his lips, but when it came right back, when it came time, he went right back to sitting on the throne. He was not about to give it up. Then it says he has 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him. You know, Saul is a fleshly king, and he trusts in fleshly things including a fleshly army. You know, Saul, were you there when David fought Goliath? I'm just curious. Were you there when, when your son Jonathan went up and fought an entire garrison of Philistines and wiped him out? What about when David went out when you were sitting under a pomegranate tree whining, and he went out and wiped out the Philistines, and they sang songs about him? And they take 3,000 men. Now, the interesting part about this is who is God's anointed king of Israel at this point? Who is it? It's David. So he's getting 3,000 of David's men to come attack David. He's turning his own family against him. You know, David, at this point, could have just popped a cap and went after Saul. And we all would have said, well, yeah, I get it. I'm surprised it took him so long. But the point is, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Could it be that the whole Nabal incident had just taken place so that God would prepare him for when Saul acted this way? God was preparing David by reminding him, I'll take care of him in my time. You don't raise your hand, you let me. Guys, we raise our hands, often we raise them for ourselves and not for the Lord. So, he didn't revert back to his own ways. I would say that Saul never left. No repentance, no real change. We shouldn't be surprised when a man who doesn't know God acts like he doesn't know God. And so he shows up with 3,000 chosen men, four to five times the size of David's army. So from a physical perspective, David is outnumbered. Saul's coming one more time to get after him. This fleshly king puts his faith in a fleshly army left David praising him, recognizing his divine calling, blown away by the mercy he had shown him, having cut his robe but not killing him. But now he comes back, armed to the teeth, to kill him. Guys, it was so easy at this point, in the midst of, this, of the enemy attacking, for David to respond in the flesh. But don't overreact. Is God still in control? What's the answer? Of course he is. Did God know Saul was coming? Of course he did. Had God always protected David up to this point? Yes. Did God already promise David he would be king? Yes. That means Saul can't do anything unless God allows it. And he's already said you're going to be king. So don't overreact. Trust God. And that's exactly what we're going to see David do. It says, And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness. And he saw that Saul came up after him into the wilderness. David this, David, this wise and godly man, while trusting fully in the Lord, never took his eyes off the enemy. That's a good, that's a good example. His eyes were on the Lord first and foremost, but so too he never took his eyes off the tactics of the enemy. He saw that Saul came after him. He didn't run away. He didn't overreact. He took time to stop and, and, and look at the situation from a godly perspective. Seek the Lord for direction. Lord, help us not to panic when things get tough. Not to fly off the handle when the enemy attacks. Remember, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? And so when the difficulties come, guys, and we start to feel you know, the temperature rising, that is not the spirit, that's the flesh. Amen? Your, your spirit doesn't blow a head gasket. Your flesh does. Amen? Oh, 
oh, that's the flesh. The spirit responds in a different way. So David trusted God, kept an eye on his enemy, saw him coming, didn't overreact, didn't panic, trusted God. Verse 4. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. Here's something else that David does. David didn't just assume the worst of his enemy. When he heard that Saul was coming, he said, well, let's find out what his motives are. And he sent some spies out to find out. He didn't just listen to the words of men. He checked it out for himself. Guys, we should not just heed the words of gossip. We should find out the truth for ourselves. Amen? We should find out if you think someone's... Go talk to that person. Go find out what the truth really is before you get all riled up. We must be careful not to too quickly see a person or a situation as an attack from the enemy may indeed be a divine appointment from the Lord. This may be God's divine plan to do something supernatural that's going to impact eternity. Let's not miss out. So, a godly response to the attacks of the enemy. Number one, don't overreact. Don't respond in the flesh. David didn't run. He didn't, didn't engage in battle. He waited upon the Lord. He gathered information to find out what was really going on. And then he responded in faith, not in fear. Point number two, verse five. So David arose and came to the place where Saul encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, and the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. So David growing in faith and boldness, he didn't run and hide. Exact opposite. What did he do instead? He went toward the enemy, not didn't run from him. He went and found out where the enemy was. He understood, he was coming to know that indeed a test does produce a testimony. That in the midst of trials, it's an opportunity for spiritual growth to see God move. So David saw where saw where Saul was laying next to Abner, the son of Ner. This was David, again, close enough to view the enemy at camp, but far enough away not to be trapped. He looked and he saw what was happening. He didn't, and he said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? There's the enemy. Do I run from him? Do I reach out to him? Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, it's interesting right now, most of you guys know I'm in training up in San Francisco for a, a job I've taken in. Uh, while I'm up there, everybody else is in one apartment complex right next to where our office is, and they're right next to AT&T Park in a really nice apartment. But the apartment was all full, so they put me in an apartment in the Tenderloin District. Now, do you know where that is? Okay. Now, when I first got there, I was like, no, what's up with that? Because I started talking to the other guys. They're like, yeah, we got a basketball court right across from AT&T Park. And I'm like, I got people shooting up heroin outside my window. I got people doing crack deals. There's prostitutes on the corner. There's three triple X video places right on the corner outside my window. And I'm like, okay. Well, Lord, you got me here for a reason. You can look and see and recognize that this is the enemy there. And you say, all right, well. And what was interesting, my very first night there, the guy came up and knocked on my door to bring some towels to the apartment. And he said, hey, I can't tell you how excited I am to have a pastor in the building. And so God, and just to make a long story short, God has used me being where I am to allow me to witness to many, many, many people. The point is, guys, God is in control of even which apartment they put you in. God is faithful. He knows. David saw the, the enemy. He didn't run. He wasn't fearful. He said, okay, God, what are you doing? And how should I respond? He saw Saul there with Abner. Abner was his bodyguard, his sergeant of arms, if you will. And saw that Abner, this son of Ner, was laying there in the camp with him. And he didn't get caught up with the enemy, but he recognized where the enemy was. And then it says, Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. So David got the full picture. He saw all 3,000 soldiers. Saul and his general encamped in the middle of them. And he could have looked and said, Oh man, we're outnumbered. Lord, what's happening? Don't you love me? Isn't that what we do sometimes? 
We look at our circumstances, instead of trusting God, we start to question Him. And then look what it says. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zariah, that's his nephew, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to to Saul in the camp? Ooh, I like this. David doesn't run. David isn't fearful. David says, okay, God brought Saul out here. Let me go down and talk to him. You know what? I'm indestructible until God is through with me. Amen? My wife was getting upset with me when I told her I would go downstairs and share Jesus with the guys dealing crack. She thought that was really dangerous and a bad idea. But you know what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? And it's amazing how, you know what? When they're just, God, I pray about it. Okay, God, I'm here for a reason. Let's go talk to them. And they're always a little, sh- they, dude, you know, you just tell them, hey, bro, you know, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit, bro. You don't need crack. You need Jesus. Amen? And you know, you won't need that stuff anymore. And you don't need a 12-step program. You need a one-step program. Come to know Him. Amen? And you know what? That stuff would just destroy your life. And how's it working out for you so far? Amen? What, are you a preacher or something? Well, pretty much. But here's the point. (laughs) Guys, David saw this as an opportunity to reach out to Saul. Okay, Lord, you brought him here. What do you want me to do? You want me to go down and talk to him? Now, can you imagine what his nephew, these two men were thinking? Hey, guys. The, you know the 3,000 soldiers down there, and King Saul who's been throwing spears at me and wants me dead? I think we ought to go down and talk to him. What do you think? Uh, and we know at least one of them said, oh, you know, you guys have a good time while you're there. You know, I'll watch your stuff for you. Go right ahead. Because only one of them went. Abishai went. The other young man, the other man, Ahimelech, did not go. And Abishai said, I'll, I'll, I'll go down with you. I'll go with you. David saw he was physically outnumbered, but he responded not by fear, but by faith. He didn't round up all his men. He didn't spend, you know, send one of his men, but he went himself. And I love that. David wasn't a man that said, you go talk to him. You go find out while he's here. David said, let's go find out. Let's go see what God wants to do. Let's go down and minister to them. His faith was not in his army or his own physical prowess, but his faith was in the greatness of his God. Guys, situations are only tough if our God is small. If our God is great, every difficulty is small in comparison. Amen? David understood that. David had already witnessed it firsthand with Goliath, and now he's going to go down. So David and Abishai, verse 7, came to the people by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. You know what God did? God said, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to go down there, David. You don't even know what's going to happen when you get there. David goes down there, and when he walks into the middle of 3,000 soldiers, they're all sleeping. All of them. You know the word there, he caused a deep sleep to fall, and it's the same word where it says, he caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam. When Adam slept and he brought, you know, took a rib and made his wife, This is the same sleep. These guys are out because God put them out. Amen? The point is, God is is so in control. God is so much greater. And David goes down, and there lays Saul, and he's out. You know, from a physical focus, this was foolish. 3,000 verses 2. From a spiritual focus, this was 3,000 men versus Almighty God. An incredible, bold, if not foolish move on part of these two men to march into this camp. But really, they were just being obedient to the Lord. David's protection was not in his army. He didn't even bring them. His protection was in the Lord. Saul is sleeping. Not just Saul and Abner, his general, but like I said, all 3,000 men. Then it says, his spear was stuck in the ground by his head. So Saul's asleep. He's unarmed. He's completely vulnerable. Now let me ask you a question. If Saul had found David in the exact same state, what would Saul have done? He would have killed him as quick as he could. He would have said, oh dude, sweet. He would have grabbed the spear and ran it through him. You know what though? We're not to respond to our enemies where enemies respond to us. You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. And David looks and he sees him there. And certainly from one perspective, this could look like a golden opportunity. David responded, though, not according to the flesh, 
but empowered by the Holy Spirit. So a godly response to the attacks of the enemy, don't overreact, don't respond in the flesh. Respond in faith, not in fear. Now, be moved by God's word, not by the words of men. Look at verse 8. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. (laughs) David, look, this is sweet. He's sleeping. His spear's right there. David, you don't even have to just turn your back, and I'll do it for you. I only got to hit him once. He'll be done. I'll put him right. I'll just nail him to the ground, David. What do you think? You know, and sometimes we think if we don't do it ourselves, that somehow, if David had allowed it, he'd be just as guilty as if he'd done it. Amen? So important for us to recognize that. We don't just turn our back and walk away. Now, unlike the last meeting that was accidental, from the world's perspective in the cave. That was a divine appointment. This time, God again had supernaturally stepped in. But we must not trust in our circumstances as to, oh, well, God put him here, so it must be God's will for me to kill him. Guys, the quick answer is not always God's answer. Amen? The quick and easy way to get out of this mess would be to run the spear through Saul. Let Abishai do it, and if anybody says anything about it, I didn't do it, he did it. Wasn't me. No, the right thing to do is to obey the word of God. And David knew that God had anointed Saul and God would bring Saul down. Just like he brought vengeance upon Nabal in his own perfect time, he would bring Saul down in his own perfect time. It was not David's job to do that. Guys, it's not our job to be the Holy Spirit police in everybody else's life. Amen? Amen? It's not our job to walk around and be the sin sniffers. <laughs> right? It's not our job. What are we called? Let's pray for people. Let's love people. Let's encourage people. Let's be salt and light. Amen? And David, you got to love the way that God's doing a work in his heart. David was loyal to Saul. Look what it says. But David said to Abishai, verse 9, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? It says in Romans 13 that we are to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. Well, what if my authority is a jerk? Submit anyway. Well, that doesn't seem right. It wouldn't be submission if the person you were submitting to did everything you wanted them to do. Right? It's only submission when you don't like what they're doing. I don't like it. Submit anyway. That's submission. Amen. Otherwise, it's just you walking alongside somebody that's going in the same direction you are. He's saying, look, now they're going the other direction, you still submit. Now again, we are to do that until they tell us to do something contrary to the Word of God. But until then, we submit to them. Amen? So when you go to work tomorrow, your boss asks you to do something you don't necessarily like. Submit to them. As long as they're not telling you to do anything contrary to your faith, honor them. You know what, guys? As we submit... God uses that as an opportunity to witness to people. Amen? Well, we ought to be the best workers in the building, have the best attitude, honor the police officers, honor those in authority, honor the government officials. And that's saying something in Santa Cruz, isn't it? But you know what? Pray for them. Amen? Pray for them. David was submitting to the authority God had placed and said, he's the Lord's anointed. If I touch, how, how can I be guiltless? We must learn to submit to the authorities God has placed over us. Verse 10, David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. For his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. You know what he says? God will take care of him in his perfect time. David would not interfere with God's plan. He would not touch God's anointed. Lord, he's yours. You take care of him. Aren't you glad it's not our job to judge others? Amen? Let God do that. He's the only one that does it right. We just mess stuff up. So we see that David says to Abishai, no, we're not going to touch him. No, he's the Lord's anointed. No, if the Lord wants to take care of him, he'll take care of him. We're not going to do it. He didn't follow his circumstances. He didn't heed the words of men. He trusted only in the word of God. Guys, what an example for all of us. 
Don't be moved by your circumstances. Don't be moved by what men say. Listen to what the Word of God says. Verse 11, The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please now take the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. David shows his trust in God is greater even than his desire to be king. Guys, so often we want to force the issue, don't we? There's something we really want, so we want to make it happen. I really, really want this, so I'm just going to help move God along a little bit. Right? You know, I really, really want to be married, and you know, she's not really saved right now, but she's willing to go to church with me, so let me just kind of force the issue a little bit. Don't do that. Trust God. We do it with friendships. We do it with our parents when we're young. We try to push the authority. We must learn to be still and know that He's God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. He's saying, look, don't strive in the flesh. Trust in the Lord and be moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. David, don't move. Let me. God's way may be difficult, but it's always worth it. Amen? You know, my, most of you know my daughter just got married about less than two months ago. And when she was in high school, she had a couple years, she didn't like me very much. Because I refused to let her date, period. This is just Pastor Dave's opinion, okay? As a parent, you won't let your kids date. That's between you and the Lord, and you can do whatever you think's best. You'd be wrong, but you can do that, okay? <laughs> but the point is, that's my baby girl. And from when I rocked her to sleep every night on my chest, I always prayed for the man she would marry. And my job was to wait until that man came along. And, and when he did, God would confirm it in my heart. And then I would have the peace to walk her down the aisle and take her hand out of my hand, have my, the authority I've had in her life for 19 years, and say, okay, you're the man God's chosen to take my place. And until that guy comes, everybody else stay away. And so for a couple years, my daughter was pretty mad at me. You know, no, you can't go to the prom. What? No, you can't. No, no. Boy, boys are going to be at the party. Well, you're not going. Everybody's going. Everybody but you. <laughs> you know what? Because I love my daughter enough to be her dad and say, you know what? I'm willing to let you be mad at me for a few years if that's what it takes because you're my daughter and I love you. And I have the same rules for my boys. You know what, though? About six months ago, my daughter wrote me a four-page letter thanking me. Because she had met her husband, and he was the man God had for her. And as I had told her her entire life, the man God has for you will blow doors on all these knuckleheads. Amen? And I said, your husband's going to thank me one day, and he has, for taking care of his wife. Here's the point. Guys, it's not always easy to do it God's way, but it's always worth it. Amen? It's always worth it. Sometimes we want to make it happen. We want to force it. David, I'm, but I'm going to be king anyway, but I want to be king now. Let me just kill him. Or David, just wait upon the Lord. And in God's timing, you'll be king, but I'll be the one who puts you there. Guys, let's not strive in the flesh. Let's trust in the Lord. So David took his spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they ran it through him. No, that's not what they did. It says, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them we're indestructible until god's through with us amen they marched right in the middle of the camp they took the king's spear they took his jug of water and they walked right out and nobody saw him. how does that happen god's in control that's how that happens amen and we need to learn that god can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think and so david marches right out of the camp he's got the king's spear now understand something there are two things that represent the king's authority actually there can be three including his crown but you know what? His garment, the length of his garment would represent his authority. And David, the first time, had cut off a piece of his garment showing that, you know, here's your authority. He had touched it. The other thing that showed his authority was his spear. David has walked away with the hem of his garment and his spear. And God has watched over him in the midst of it. David's safety was supernaturally guaranteed as he walked in obedience Again, we shall not tempt the Lord. Satan tempted Jesus to jump. We're not supposed to do that. But at the same time, as we walk in obedience, we can trust that God will take 
care of us. So it, he marches into the camp, he takes the stuff, he walks out. So a godly response to the attacks of the enemy, don't overreact, respond in the flesh, respond in faith, not in fear, be moved by God's word, not by the words of men or our circumstances. Just because it looks easy to kill them, that doesn't mean God wants you to do that. Just because there's men alongside you telling you to do it, doesn't mean you should. Fourthly, we should show greater love and concern for our enemies than their unsaved friends do. Look what it says in verse 13. Now David went over to the other side and stood on top of the hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? Now, this very vivid scene David is going to imply that he cares more about Saul's life than his bodyguard does, than his sergeant in arms, than Abner does. David, the one who Saul has sought to kill, the one who throws spears at him, the one that tried to attack him in his sleep, the one who sent armies of soldiers to hunt him down, he cares more about his life than his paid bodyguard. You know why? Because David has godly wisdom and David sees from a spiritual perspective. He cries out to him, who do you think you are calling out to the king? You know, Abner questions even the ability for him to cry out. Who do you think you are addressing the king directly like that? Verse 15, so David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you, why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of my people came in to destroy your lord the king. Then he says in verse 16, This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. David's pretty bold. Abner says, Who do you think you are? And he says, Hey, Abner, aren't you a man? Aren't you supposed to be the one watching the king? Somebody walked into camp. You were napping. And you know what? You deserve to die because you're not doing your job. You know, David, while he shows restraint, also has great boldness. While Abner's concern was for the king should have been seen in his words, David's concern was seen in his actions. Abner acted like he cared about the king, but who's really the one that kept the king from being killed? Who was it? David. Abishai said, let me run a spear through him. Abner, right? Not not doing anything. David's the one who goes, no, you're not going to do that. David showed more love and compassion for his enemy than even his closest friends did. For the second time, David is going to have undeniable proof that he indeed could have killed him. Look what it says, the rest of verse 16. And now see where the king's spear is, and the jug of water that was by his head. Now imagine Abner at that moment looking around going, and the spear's gone? His jug of water is gone? For the second time he could have killed Saul. He held up the corner of his robe before. Now he's going to hold up the spear and the water jug. And Abner, motivated by the flesh, had failed miserably. David, spiritually focused, had spared Saul's life twice. The man who made his life miserable, the man whose number one passion was to see David dead, and what had David done? Show him love and compassion. What an example for us, amen? Amen. The person that gets on your nerves the most, show them love and compassion, amen? The person that just rubs you the wrong way and you just wish the guy would get hit by a bus, you know what? The Lord wants you to reach out and love him in Jesus' name, amen? David truly loved Saul and was burdened for him. Abner saw Saul as a meal ticket, one who could, he could ride to the top. David had a true agape love for Saul. How can I minister to him? Abner had Aaron love. What can my friendship with him do for me? As Christians, we need to see even those who cause us this pain and aggravation from an eternal perspective. Jesus said, love your enemies. The word love there is agape. It's a selfless love who loves someone outside of ourselves more than ourselves. So point number four was show a greater love and concern for our enemies than their unsafe friends do. Last two points. Number five, come with a humble heart seeking restoration. We're going to see that even though David was so right and Saul was so wrong, he didn't approach Saul from a position of bitterness or self-righteous superiority, but from a humble heart of submission filled with grace seeking restoration. But it's so easy for him to go, look, I could have killed you again and I didn't. Could have done that, right? Saul, come on, bro. 
You told me I was king, and then you left, and you come back with a bunch of guys, and I went in, and I had your spear in my hand. I got your spear now. I got your robe. I got your spear. Okay? He could have been like, he wasn't like that. And we shouldn't be like that. Look what it says. Verse 17, then Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son, David? Is this relationship just tweak you or what? <laughs> Can you imagine the guy you're trying to kill every day and then you hear him, you go, oh, is that your voice, my son? How are you doing? Really missed you. Came with 3,000 guys to hunt you down and kill you, but just wondering how you're doing. This is such hypocrisy. We shouldn't be surprised, though, when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? He brought 3,000 guys to kill him. He had taken his wife away from him and given her to another man. Remember, he was married first to Saul's daughter. He took Michael away and gave her to another man. And now he calls him, my son. Acts like he's glad to hear his voice. But even as he's insincere, we should respond from a humble heart, seeking reconciliation. He says, is that your voice, my son David? David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. Whoa. It's my voice, you dumb jerk. I mean, isn't that how you, right? Isn't that how we want to respond sometimes? Yeah, that was me. Got your spear right here, too. But that's not how he responds. He says, my Lord and King. David reaffirms. That he does not seek to kill Saul. And he said, verse 18, Why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? What have I done? What evil is in my hand? You know what? A godly, obedient life is a life that can be examined. Amen? He says, look at my life. Look at everything I've done. What have I done, Saul? What have I done that has caused you to want to kill me? Lord, help us to live a life so set apart to God that we can say to our boss, what have I done? And we're not to defend ourselves, but through it as an opportunity. Just as Satan seeks to destroy you, Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. David's desire, as Saul comes to destroy, is to restore. What a picture of our Savior. Verse 19, Now therefore, please let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred, up, stirred you up against me, let him accept my offering. But if it's the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go and serve other gods. David opens his heart to Saul and says, if I've sinned against God, let's make it right. Let's have a sacrifice. But he also makes it easier for Saul to repent. He says, you know, if you came out here because somebody else lied to you, you know what, let them be a curse. Let's get things right, me and you. You know, he makes it easy for the other person to repent. Guys, that's a sign of of true humility, where we don't lord over someone else's sin on them. We make it very easy for there to be restoration. Because isn't that exactly what our Lord did? He didn't make it impossible. He made it as easy as it could be by, by again, taking our place upon Calvary. And again, he sent him off to the lands where people worshipped idols to serve other gods. Some may have even accused David of serving false gods, but instead of being bitter about it, his heart is for restoration. Verse 20, So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the King of Israel has come out to seek a flea as one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. David compares himself to the most insignificant and harmless of all animals. He appeals to Saul not to kill him. In those days, the Arabs would hunt partridges and they would chase them to the point to where they got exhausted and they couldn't fly, they couldn't get away anymore, and they would just come up and hit them. And he said, what you've done is you've just tried to wear me down to the point that I'm like, like a partridge, like the most insignificant of animals. You've come to hunt somebody who's of no real value, Saul. He's speaking to him not as one who's the anointed king speaking down with bitterness. He's speaking to him with humility. Last point. A godly response to the attacks of the enemy. David's humble and godly response bought an opportunity for restoration. Look what it says. Then Saul said, what? I have sinned. Why did he respond that way? He responds that way because David reached out to him in love with a heart for restoration. Amen? If he had reached out to him and said, I got your sword right here, come and get it, pal. Now what do you think would have happened? There would have been a brawl right there. Somebody's dying, right? But instead, David reaches out with a heart of love before him. 
And he says, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Saul was overcome by David's kindness toward him. Again, you don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. You've heard me use this illustration many times. If you've been coming for a long time, forgive me. But one time I cut a guy off really bad in San Jose. It was totally my fault. I came around a blind corner and I looked at my rearview mirror and he was an inch and a half behind me. And I realized very quickly, oh, I just cut him off bad. We got up to the light. He let me know that I cut him off bad. And he was waving signs at me and they were not very friendly. And he was screaming at the top of his lungs and curses, you know, and he's got drool coming out. He's cursing at me. I rolled my window down. I said, bro, you know what? That was 100% my fault. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And the man said, oh, yeah, no problem. (laughs) Guys, a soft answer turns away wrath. Amen? King David's response brought a, a heart of humility in Saul to recognize his own sin. Because David was so gracious. Verse 22, And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of your young men come over and get it. Here's your spear. Let me give it back to you. He accepts his heart of repentance and says, Here, let me give your spear back. He reaches out to him. And then it says, May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today. But I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David appeals to God to be the judge and to repay all men according to their actions. He doesn't say, Saul, here's what I could have done. Instead he says, Lord, you be the only one who judges anyone. The world told David God had delivered Saul into his hands, but David would not try to destroy the one whom God had anointed. He trusted God to bless his obedience and he would not try to force God's hand. Verse 24. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. You know what? He says, may the Lord treat me as I have treated you. Now, do we, how many of us would want to say that? Okay, Lord, treat me the way I've been treating my worst enemy. Not so much. Give me a week to get things better, then I want to say that later. Amen? (laughs) Lord, treat me the way I respond to my boss who's out of control. That's what David says. Lord, you treat me the way I've treated my enemy. David showed the qualities of a godly prince. He was generous in sparing Saul. He exercised military authority in reprimanding Abner for falling asleep on the job. Last verse. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Saul condemns himself, applauds David in the hearing of all 3,000 soldiers. He speaks of David's great victory. David's trust in Saul's confection, not strong enough to return to the temple. He heard his words. They were departed. And this is the last time they're going to talk to each other. This is where it ends, right here. All this chasing, all this haranguing, all of this unfair treatment. And how does it end? It ends with David being nothing but kind and loving and gracious to his enemy and them departing without, the, without it happening. Now, we don't know what the future could have, We know what the future holds because we got the Bible. But you know, you never know if Saul would have repented. But David trusted that was not his call or his job. His call was to be faithful. His call was to reach out for restoration. And as he did, God was preparing David to be a king. You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. So in closing, a godly response to the attacks of the enemy. Don't overreact and respond in the flesh. Respond in faith, not in fear. Be moved by God's word, not by the words of men or our circumstances. By showing greater love and concern for our enemies than, our unsafe, than their unsafe friends do. Come with a humble heart, seeking restoration. And in the end, we saw that David's humble response brought an opportunity for restoration. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that you know you haven't been treating with that kind of reverence and honor and respect. Lord, help us to begin even tonight to reflect the Lord and how we respond to those who attack us. Amen? Those who treat us wrong, those who are out of control. Guys, when the world acts like the world, we shouldn't be surprised, but as Christians, we ought to be different. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You squeeze a lemon, you get lemonade. And when you squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Christ-likeness. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. And we thank you how it applies to our lives so clearly today. Words written 2,500 years ago. And Lord, they still apply to every one of us. Father, help us to learn from David's example. Help us, Lord, not to overcome evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Help us, Lord, to look at those difficulties in life as an opportunity to reach out to people in love, to reflect your love and your grace to those who desperately need to know you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.